Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Don't Tell Me The Score, the podcast that uses sport to explore life's bigger questions. My name is Simon Mundy, and each week I sit down with an expert from the biggest sporting names in the world to Buddhist monks, neuroscientists, psychologists, and philosophers. We discuss a theme that tells us something insightful and important about life and how best to live it. From the importance of self-acceptance to facing addiction and developing resilience, right through to getting your circadian rhythms in sync and how to sleep better. Sport is a metaphor for life. And in this podcast, I aim to prove that right. I always like hearing from you. So the best way to get in touch is via my website, simonmundy.com or I'm at Simon Mundy on social media. In this episode, I'm talking to arguably the greatest snooker player of all time, Ronnie O'Sullivan, about embracing moderation. Ronnie O'Sullivan, thank you for coming on Don't Tell Me the School. It's an absolute mm. pleasure to have you here. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me on. Now, uh, excuse the flattery. Okay. General consensus, the most talented, the most popular player currently on tour now and in most people's opinion ever mm. but for me the most important thing or one of the most impressive things about you is your longevity mm. here you are don't want to say you're getting on a bit but mm. you know in a sportsman's terms you are yeah. world number one again yeah. you know and uh, early on would you have expected yourself at this age to a look as well as you do and b to to be peaking like this it depends how far you go back. If you'd have asked me this um, when I was maybe 19, going through to my 25s, I'd have said definitely no, because I was in a bit of a bit of a rough place then. You know, I didn't really... There was no self-care there. There was no professionalism to the level that there is now. So I'd have probably said, you know, I'd have been happy maybe making a final. I'd been over the moon winning a world title. Possibly getting to number one would have been nice. Um, and just and just making a nice living out of it and having fun and not, you know, just doing something I kind of enjoy, really. 
Um, but if you would ask me from 25 onwards, um, obviously I've you know, rededicated myself and how I approach the game. And from that moment onwards, I've kind of looked to be the best I can possibly, possibly be. And obviously I've had to seek out advice and help and, um, and challenge myself and take myself out of my comfort zone to try and achieve that. So, you know, it's all great saying I've got talent and this and that, but um, talent only gets you so far, you know? Yeah, and, and you talk there about being the best version of yourself, and mm. I think that's such a mm. good way to look at things. Yeah. So many people, like, hit, say, 30 yeah. in all areas of life and sort of think mm. maybe consciously or unconsciously they're, they're done. Yeah. But that striving to always be better, yeah. you know, that's a really valuable thing, isn't it? Yeah, because I think if you just sort of like say, well, this only applies to you being number one or being the best snooker player, the best t t tennis player, the best golfer, or the best cook in the world, you know, you're kind of like you're 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 probably alienating, you know, getting rid of like seven point eight billion people because they'll think, well, that's just kind of not achievable. Um, but if you just say to everyone, you know, whatever it is your passion is, whatever your hobby is, would you like to be the best you can be at it? And I think most people would probably say, yeah, most people, you know, would, would like to be better at anything that they do, you know, because I think the better you are at something, the more enjoyment you get out of it. And it's not just about doing it, it's about, you know, it becomes a fabric of your life in a way. And it, and it not only... You know, you not only enjoy you you not only enjoy what you do more, but it, it it asks more questions of yourself. So, like me going on trying to be the best I can be, I've had to dig deep within myself and find out really what it is about my character and have I got the character, have I got the will, have I got determination? Sometimes I think I'm a weak person, but actually when I look back at it, I think I've done well. You know, to kind of push on. Mm, yeah. And, and you can be the best version of yourself, not just in terms of something you do, but it's also like can be about the way you are and the, and the being size. You know, being not kinder, being a better listener, all these kind of yeah. things. We can all improve yeah. in every area. And to yeah. me, that's like one of the most key things about life. That's mm. kind of one of the points of life, isn't it? Do yeah, you go I, along with that? Yeah, I still have to work on that, you know, um, because what happens is, is when I play snooker, I go into a, a tunnel vision type of world and then I kind of, I don't know I'm doing it, but I just block out everything and everyone around me. And the people that care about me obviously um, don't get the best out of me. And they take it for so long. And then eventually they go, well, I'm not putting up with this. And um, you kind of think, well, what, what, what have I done? You know, I'm out there grafting. I'm trying to be the best that I can be. I'm pursuing my career. But actually they're not getting their wants and needs. Yeah. Um, so it's broader than snooker, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so then you have to go, okay, well, well I want to balance in life. You know, I don't just want to be... Snooker, I've realised, and winning titles is great, but it's, you know... If that's all that life is, if what my life is built on is, is around just being success, then at some point that's going to go. And then what am I left with? Yeah. You know, and I think human relationships are very important and, and, and probably more important than anything you'd ever do because, you know, we need to interact with people and the healthier the relationships you have, the better your life will be. So I have to draw in sometimes and kind of go, OK, you know, maybe I've been a bit selfish and I've been a bit ne neglected certain things. And then once I start to reapproach that, you know, life gets better again, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's all about balance and moderation, isn't it? You've got to spread it out. That tunnel vision can be quite destructive. You see, see it with people. Moderation is hard, and I've had people around me that have said, you know what, um, certain people got you around, you're probably the wrong type of people for you, you need people to support you. And I thought, yeah, that's great, and I have got people to support me. Um, but I just don't want that type of person around me. I want people that have got their own life and are independent and... and and they need supporting as well in many ways, you know, yeah. like, you know, otherwise you just kind of, you know, a lot of people that support me, they're great relationships, but, you know, it's, um, and it's great, 
but I don't know, you, you, you need a bit of everything, I think. And you talk about relationships, and relationship with self is important mm. as well. And in your cookbook, right, mm. which is this, half it's this huge open up of, of yeah. you know, your inner landscape, really. Yeah. And part of self-care, mm. um, having a relationship with self, is accepting yourself warts and all. And you've spoken yeah. about publicly about some of the difficulties you've had, some of the addictions you've had. Yeah. But actually accepting that as part of yourself, mm. it, that's being kind to yourself and that's a relationship with yourself as well. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think obviously, you know, um, I went through a lot of denial in the early stages that, you know, I didn't think I had an addiction problem, really. Um, I just kind of, I thought, you know, I'd get, I'd, get a, I'd get a month of training and eating well and practicing and, 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 and all that sort of stuff and then I'd play a tournament and I'd do really well and then for the next two or three months I would binge on food and and drink and going out and you know going to nightclubs and it was never me but that was just my addictive side you know I couldn't just have one night out one meal and get back to training the next day I kind of always kept falling off the wagon Mm. and it wasn't until I started looking at addiction you know when you look at addiction it's not just with food it can be around women relationships gambling spending you know am I working too hard am I work addict and I'm like you know, so it kind of like it covers so many different areas. I think it can even cover thinking. I think yeah, you, you know, yeah. you can over, you can get addicted to overthinking. Can't Absolutely, you? get addicted Absolutely. to anything. Yeah, yeah. I think we, I think the Western world has become a, a world of addiction in many ways. You yeah. know, we've forgot what it's like to just sit down as a community and just do things together and help each other, support each other. I think we yeah. live in quite a hectic, fast-paced life, yeah. and everyone's trying to get on top of each other everyone wants to climb that ladder and they'll do whatever they do and and I probably do it unconsciously I kind of think I'm not like that but actually when I get in that tunnel vision I've probably trampled on so many people um, not in a horrible way but just in my pursuit to be the best and um, and you know you have to make tough decisions and sometimes you think you know, and I look back about it, you know, they were ruthless decisions. And I kind of class myself as not being a ruthless person. But because of that pursuit to be the best that I could be, I sometimes, you know, sometimes you have to do it. And then sometimes you think, well, I go to Thailand and it's not like that. They have a different way of success. They kind of, you look at Manny Pacquiao, he'll feed his village. And, you know, for him, it's all about, you know, taking back to the Philippines, making his... And I think that's a much better way to share your success than think... You know, maybe, you know, you've got the Manny Pacquiao way and you've got the Floyd Mayweather way. Floyd Mayweather go and buy loads of Bugattis and cars and spend it yeah. and it's bling, bling, bling. And a lot of the Western world think, you know, that's what I aspire to be. Yeah. I don't. I aspire to be the more the Manny Pacquiao. I think yeah. for me, he's got the balance right. He's doing it for a greater good. He's, you know, he's, he's taking poverty out of his country. He wants to make his country a better place. And for me, uh, that's where, that's the side I would much rather yeah, you know, be and and I have to kind of force myself to kind of be more like that because I'm around a lot of Western. It doesn't kind of, kind of always fit in, you yeah, know. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's definitely in your it, own way. It is the Western way, you know. To, yeah. it's like seeking a proving externally and seeking externally, you know. And you speak about people struggling to sit still, and you've spoken about, mm. you know, having finding a difficulty sort of sitting still, like an impulse yeah. to sort of keep going. And I think this is quite interesting because life can sort of challenge you in an interesting way. So you've been given this talent and work ethic at Snooker, right? And basically you've been given a this 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 gift that forces you to sit down for long periods of time, often watching something happen on the table you don't enjoy. So it's a blessing and a curse, but it's forced you to grow at the same time. I really um I really you know like Snooker's you, you hear certain sports people talk about their sport and um 
very rarely do I, you hear certain people talk about the sport in the way that I feel about my sport. You know, footballers seem to be having a great time. They might feel a bit of pressure, but they've got their teammates, the rugby players. You know, they've brought up in a team sort of environment. The only sport where I've seen them throw tantrums and say they can't is tennis. Yeah, I read articles on some tennis players, and they go through similar sort of emotions as snooker players do. And I just think. In, snooker is a really, really hard sport. And if I had my time over again, I definitely wouldn't chose snooker as a sport to pursue because a lot of people said over the years, you know, oh, he's, he's up and down, he's unstable. And, and I'm not. You know, I've just kind of... I always called it snooker depression. You know, I'm one of them people um, that lived and breathed the sport, loved it, probably had a bit of an unhealthy relationship with it in the beginning when I was growing up. Not not because of my own fault, but just how I was pushed a little bit like Andre, Andre Gassi was, yeah. you know, um, playing and competing, enjoying wasn't enough. I had to win. And if I didn't win and I didn't, if I lost and I didn't show that I was disappointed, then it was something lacking in me as a person. I was never going to make it because losing never hurt enough. So I kind of like never really matured in the way that maybe a lot of other people matured um, naturally, organically, in a way. Yeah. So I think I've had this unhealthy relationship with snooker and, and sometimes, like, doing it through other people, you know, like like my father going away yeah. when he did, you know, I took a lot of that pressure on because I thought I didn't want him to feel responsible for my... if my career didn't develop the way he thought it was going to develop and how everybody else thought it was going to develop. So I didn't want him to feel the blame for that. So I took that on for a while. And then sometimes you think, you know, I'm just doing everything for the wrong reasons and trying to please people. And so I've had that sort of unhealthy sort of, mm. you know, if I lose, I've let everyone down. Mm. I haven't really let anyone down, but that's how it feels sometimes. You sure, know? Yeah. You talk about Andre Agassi. I think, mm. again, the parallels with you and him are, are really clear. You know, he, yeah. he had, again, was written off in like 97. And then suddenly... You know, later on in his career, he reached world number one sort of later on as well. And he loves sharing the lessons he learned, which which you do as well. And you've yeah. learned lots of lessons along the way, haven't yeah. you? You know, you've yeah. used lots of different things to help yourself yeah. and are now in a place where you want to share those lessons with yeah. other people because, you know, it can be of benefit to the wider community, which ties back into yeah. the sort of Manny Pacquiao view of, of, of life. Yeah, I mean, I love what I guess he's doing. I know with Steffi Graf, they do a lot of good stuff back in, I think, Las Vegas. They've done some, some stuff with school and helping children and, and all that sort of stuff and I really true, do think that he's found true happiness mm. in giving I think Andre Gassi is one of them people that you know is a giver mm. um, you know and um, and, and, I, and yeah and I'm, I, I kind of like put myself in that kind of bracket I, I find I receive more when I give mm. I mean just for example there's this young Chinese kid who's 22 he's on the snooker tour he's got amazing talent I call him the Federer of snooker I know a lot of people call me the Federer of snooker but this kid has got more talent than anyone I've ever really? seen yeah and it just and I just kind of thought I'm at the end of my kind of playing days and I just wanted to if there was a player that I could help it's him and I've kind of um, his, his, his managers always said to me will you help this one and help that one I said yeah yeah but while I'm playing it's a bit difficult but I just thought now's the time right and I've spent maybe four or five hours with him on the table and just a few little things I've just showed him and he's picked it up so quick really? and I've said to him look you've got two years to be world champion he's never won a tournament he's never been beyond the semi-finals his aim is to win a tournament next year if I can spend enough time with him I'd like to do what Ray Reardon done for me with him it's, and it's sort of like, like I said you know everyone's like oh Ronnie's the most talented he's this and that 
I wasn't a complete player until I spent two years with Ray Reardon. And if I wouldn't have spent them two years with Ray Reardon, I maybe would have got one or two world titles at best. Um, may Might have achieved number one, but not for the amount of mm. time that I did. Um, certainly wouldn't be playing as well as I was into my senior years because I've obviously had to reinvent myself. Um, and a lot of that has meant I can't be as attacking or as aggressive as I think I'd like, as I'd like to be. So I've had to learn to you know, to win games differently. So I see him as like a, a little, I hate to say the word project, but someone that I can help and hopefully just watch from afar and just see him become, you know, um, he reminds me of Justin Bieber. I said, you are like Justin Bieber. He's a young kid, handsome. I said, you know, I've just got this vision that he'll win the world title and China's going to go absolutely bananas and go, what, you know, where has he come from? You know, and it, and it you know, that's, you know, it can, it can be one of them things that can just happen overnight, yeah, you yeah. know, like, like Tiger Woods or, or John Daly, they come out and people go, where has he been? Yeah. yeah. You know, but burst the golf, onto the scene. Yeah. Boris Becker. Becker. Yeah. Becker. You go, yeah. like, what was all that about? You know, and I'd love to see this kid do it. Amazing. Um, I think um, you don't forget those people that help you early on. And I think if you remember that, you do want to do the same for other people. Yeah. And then it's that kind of pay it forward type yeah. thing. And, exactly. and again, yeah. it ties into what we're talking about in terms of, of you know, giving and providing. Yeah. Right. So your lessons, let's, let's talk a little bit about them. Okay. For, mm. First of all, so let you, when you won your first world title, 2001, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, what were you like? What was your internal landscape like? We know what Terrible. you were like. Terrible. Terrible. So what, what, what was it? Uh, the day the tournament started, I was on the phone to the Samaritans having panic attacks. The week before I went to the World Championships, I was sitting in my garden around the corner with my partner at the time. Couldn't, couldn't be around people. I was just about, you know, I could be around her, but I was just had these panic attacks and I, I could just like be in a room of people. And, um, and I thought, and I remember sitting there, <laughs> was watching the snooker because it had just started. And Darren Morgan was... Um, talking about the world championships and he went well for me Ronnie O'Sullivan's the favourite to win this and I'm sitting there watching it and she went to me she said did you hear that and I went what she went do you hear what you just said there and I went yeah yeah she went just go and win it and I was like and then I get to Sheffield and um, yeah I was doing a radio interview with some I can't remember who it was and I was trying to hold it together and I was just saying all the right things, and but inside I was like, "Whoa, this is this is not easy for me." And um, I was just spewing out what I thought they wanted to hear. Um, but this interview felt like it had gone on for about four hours, and I just thought, "Oh, you know." And at one point, I just cracked. I said, "Look, I'm really struggling here." I said, "I'm having panic attacks." You said that, didn't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember the girl and the woman on there was like, "Oh, we're really sorry. We hope you're all right. We're going to cut the interview short, and you know, we just hope you're all right." They were really, really worried. And I remember sitting, I was in my hotel room in the Hilton in Sheffield, and I just put the phone down and I went. Oh. I just laid on the bed and I went, oh, and I just phoned the Samaritans. Yeah. I said, look, I am in a bad place. I said, I'm having these panic. And I was nine, ten months clean out of the Priory. I'd had my best snooker season ever. I'd won six out of 11 events. You know, if you was to base success on, like, you know, external things, I was just, it was the most successful season any snooker play, player had had, you know, even including Stephen Hendry. And um, so I was like, this, 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 in my mind, I'm thinking... Even winning tournaments ain't solving my problem, you know. It's like, what is it? You know, why am I, why am I feeling like this? And um, so she, I spoke to her. She said, well, like, don't do anything silly. Da, da, da. So I phoned my doctor up. He already knew that I was having these panic attacks. And he said, look, I can put you on this medication. And da, da. I went, look, I don't want to go on medication. I'm, 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 I'll go to meetings. I've been to the Priory. I'm aware that I can be addictive. They've told me not to take pills. So I'm not doing it. Anyway, I got to Sheffield and I was like, 
I need these, I need, I've got to try these pills just to see if they kind of, so he put me on some serotonin mm-hmm. sort of pill um, and I took it and within an hour and a half, the anxiety went, I felt a little bit, oh, because I hadn't taken anything like that before. Within um, an hour and a half? Yeah, within an hour and a half, it kind of like the drug had got into me and it just sort of like, it's like a, Relaxed me, took yeah. the anxiety away, and I thought, oh, I'm, I'm, I can, I can, I can go and have a coffee around yeah. the corner now. So you function. I can go and have a coffee, sit in a coffee shop, and and it, it, I likened it a little bit like you know when you you you're on a train in London, there's just people rushing towards mm. you. That's how it felt. I just felt like in a mm. pure state of panic. Yeah. I took this tablet and everything just slowed down, and I was like, okay, I can actually now order my coffee, sit down, and if someone comes up and goes, hi Ronnie, can you sign this? I'll be yeah, no problem. Yeah. I, you know, if someone come up and asked me my autograph, I'd have been like, I'd, I'd just freeze, and I just thought, I, I can't be like that. I don't want to be like that, you know. And, yeah. and that's why I have these episodes where I just, you know, I I just disappear, I run off, you know, and people think I was having a tantrum. It's just that I can't cope sometimes, you know, and it's not that I can't cope with snooker, it's just, I just can't cope with like, you know, normal life sometimes, you know. And people can read those external reactions totally wrong. And Mm. you talk about, you know, your experience of anxiety. So many people can resonate with what that feeling is like. And there is a place then, isn't there, for medication for like, for some people in those positions as a relief. Yeah, as a as a short term relief, yeah. I'd always go look. Yeah, if yeah, it's for a week, two weeks, you're out in America, you're on a business trip, you know, you've got to do it, um, do it. But I'm, I, I would never. Um, it's not the long term answer. No, no, no. I definitely wouldn't do it as a long term uh, answer. And I just think, um, for me, like I said, you know, I talk about snooker depression. If I didn't play snooker and didn't have to go for it, I would never have to take any medication ever it's just that I have this unhealthy relationship with snooker and a lot of my self-worth and value is mm. built around if I do well at snooker then I'm okay as a person And but it's not even doing well because like I said I won six tournaments that should have been enough but it was just performance so I could have won six tournaments but if I was scared about my next performance not being good enough that's what used to frighten me I likened it to a little bit like you know certain people go on stage and they and before they go out they freeze you know because the, the, it's all about the performance and that's exactly what it was like with me with snooker you know I could do brilliant performances but it was always about the next one and am I going to fall apart am I just not going to be out of pot of ball am I going to embarrass myself out there are people going to start laughing at me they're going to think you know he's a fraud yeah. and I had all that going on and if I don't compete and I don't put myself in that situation with snooker, that fear and that anxiety just disappeared. Not overnight. It used to take me about three or four days before I kind of like would get back to normal. But, you know, it, it, I, I know that by playing, that that's what happens to me. And even though I've worked with Steve Peters, it's, it's helped me a lot. I still get moments where I just think, and it's nowhere near as bad as it was, but I still get moments where I just think, oh, you know, I really do doubt myself and, it's you know, It's I incredibly really common though, isn't it? And you mm. can see why with that kind of stuff going on, which so mm. many of us have, mm. that why people wouldn't push themselves or put themselves in situations actually though that do force you to grow mm. and perhaps stay in the really safe lane because... Yeah. You know, okay, you avoid that the discomfort that you've just spoken about, but mm. but that pain can be fuel for growth. Yeah, I think you just got to manage it. The idea of it is managing it, and I think that's what I've done over the. I've I've realised that since two thousand and five that you know I just have to see it coming. I kind of like I always do like um I do a diary, so as I can look back on it and go, okay, what did I do here, and you know I hit a little drop, you know, a little bad period here was because of maybe. I take too much on. Sometimes I don't spend enough time at home cooking for myself, looking after myself. 
you know, uh, spending time with my partner, seeing my children, and and kind of once I do all them sort of things, it kind of builds up this big shield, and you go, okay, I'm ready to now go into that two week battle, mm. you know, and and go and do some grafts and try and win this tournament and try and compete against the best snooker players in the world. If I try and do four or five weeks of competing with the best snooker players in the world, going from hotel room to hotel room and country to country, I start to neglect myself and I start to sort of like question, like, what is this all about? You know, this, this isn't really making me happy. I've won a couple of tournaments, but really I just can't wait to get home. So I kind of recognise what I can and can't do. I'm not one of these snooker players that just will play in any tournament, any venue, and just think, you know, it's it's a great opportunity. You know, I, I, I like myself a bit like a racehorse. If you keep racing him every day, at some point he's going to get sick of racing and you, and, he, and, he, and he's going to come last. Mm-hmm. He's either going to win or he's going to come last. I'm not a mid-pack uh, racehorse. I like to win. I like to compete. I'm not driven by winning. But I like to compete. So as a consequence of competing, that means I like to win. But I'm not one of these that if I don't win, I think, oh, you know, you know. It's sometimes I think if I don't win, it's, it's, it's a bit of a blessing in disguise. I get an extra few days off, more time to prepare for the next one. What will be will be. You know, the greater good is maybe the next and the next tournament coming up. So I kind of, um, yeah, it's, it's sort of like recognising it sometimes and just we're all different. I think we're all bespoke. We all have different ways of approaching things. But I certainly know I'm not a mid-pack player and that's never going to be right for me you know I've always got to aim to try and be at the highest level when I'm competing otherwise there's no point Mother's Day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones Blue Nile has something she'll adore need it fast most items can ship overnight Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Yeah. So the first tool you used along mm. the way, um, or the, the most common one we've heard about, is, is your running that you got into. Yeah. And it is a really good way of clearing the mind. And, yeah. You know, it's very, very powerful, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I mean, I think I started when I was about twelve, about thirteen. My dad used to um, always say to me, "Healthy body, healthy mind." Um, so he'd get me running two, three miles around a block. Um, so instead of playing four hours snooker, I could play three hours snooker, but then I had to do like a 45 minute run. So I'd do that and then I'd go to my tournament on the weekend and I'd feel great and 
I'd, I'd win it, you know. And, and, I, and I've always had this little bit, I was always a bit chubby on the chubby side. And I remember if I didn't run, by the time like, you know, a quarterfinal stage come, I'd, I'd be in the toilets and my armpits would be sweating quite a lot. So I'd have to dry it under the dryer. But then if I had been running for a week or two weeks, I noticed at the same time at the tournament, I wasn't sweating. Mm. So I kind of realised, you know, it was even at a young age, that healthy body, healthy mind were related, yeah. you know. And it, like, I'm one of these, I'm an evidence-based person. Yeah. I have to see things working and go, okay, yeah, I can, I can join the dots now. That's a great sign as well. You yeah. Know, dry your armpits with, with a hair dryer. Yeah, I mean, and I'm, I was only sign. 14. You know, yeah. and at 14, I was like a bloke. I had hairy arms. I was like shaving nearly. You know, no one would have believed I was 14. I was beating professional yeah. snooker players. Um, but, it, you know, my dad instilled in me younger, that healthy body, healthy mind, you'll become a better player. So yeah. it's, I've always been about, you know, trying to get the two... Yeah. Right, you know the balance, and you are you are a quick runner as well. I don't know what you what ten thirty five rough minutes roughly for a ten k. Yeah, about thirty four fifty um, was my my best time for ten k. So I was really, rapid. Yeah, it was fast. I mean, for, you know, if you, if forty one, I was happy with that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, forty one's decent. You know, it's like just under seven minute miling, which yeah. is which is I think anything from seven thirty miling downwards is running. Anything above that, you start to go into jogging mode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I used to train with a local running club in Woodford. You know, we'd turn up there to be 15, 20 people, you know, lapping around the track, you know, doing our times. And then on Saturday, we'd be over the forest doing hill sessions. Sunday, we'd be doing like long 10, 11 mile runs. I'd be racing once every two weeks. Um, even if I was traveling away at tournaments, I'd be in Ireland, Scotland. It didn't matter where I was. I'd find a, a cross-country race and compete in that. Um, so running become like a big thing for me. It's like a religion for me, yeah. you know, and I always had a problem. You know, with my weight as a kid, like I said, you know, like drying my armpits under the hairdryer just to dry them out. You know, I was always on 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 the, on the biggish side. A lot of people look at me and go, "Biggish? There's nothing yeah. of you." Yeah. But I have to work at that, you know. And you know, I found with running, you know, when I was running 25, 30, 40 miles a week, you know, I was there was you could put any amount of food in me. It wasn't even gonna, you know, it wasn't gonna put an ounce on me because I was burning it off. Yeah. Um, but over the last like four or five years, I've I've had so many injuries through the running that I'm not able to run how I used to, and it gets a bit frustrating. So then I turn to food, and I yeah. turn to other stuff, and yeah. I neglect myself, and I put on like two about three stone, you know. And, and and although I wasn't fat and overweight, for me I felt it, you know. When I was at my fittest, a lot of normal people would go, "You don't look well," and I go, "It's because I'm fit." In my mind, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't sell that to them yeah. because they go, "You need a good meal, Daniel." Yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm running well at the moment. I'm really trying to... So you took that as a like, yeah. validation? Yeah, I'd go, you know what, that's, mate, can you say that again, please? Because <laughs> we'd be down in the running club and a lot of people go, like, we'd all have the same stories. They'd go, you know, my, my friend says I don't look well, but, you know, they were race fit. Yeah. And to be race fit, you've got to be gaunt. You haven't got to be gaunt, but that's just what happens. You know, yeah. when you're fit and you're, in, you're, you're racing well, I, I did yeah. look kind of ill, yeah. but I felt fantastic, you know. You know, yeah. I used to get, I used to go, I got out of station at Holborn and it was like about seven, eight, about eight miles to my ass. And I looked at it, I thought it was loads of traffic, loads of people. I had a pair of leather boots on with a zip on the back, my jeans and my cardigan. And I was so fit. I run home. I run home for eight miles, never got out of breath and I was flying. And I just remember people looking at me thinking like, you know, but just, just an eight, ten mile run at six minute miling was nothing. It was yeah. just like a normal run, you know, and... You know, them moments, 
them, I'm more proud of them moments than I am of winning the world championships. People go, what's your proudest moment? I go, winning the race in Epping. I, I won this, you know, it was like a bit of a fun run, but yeah. there was a lot of decent runners there. And I come in and I run five mile in 27 minutes and people are like, oh, that's a yeah, bit of a good is. time, you know. And um, <laughs> and then I won a local race at my, at my other club, Orion, you know, um, the handicap run. I come 180th in the Southern England cross country, nine miles over Parliament Hill. Really proud of that. 34 minutes in a, in a race, 10K race, in front so they're all my like proudest achievements because not many people know about that but that's something that you know um you know i had a 10 12 year period where i was just addicted to running if you like you know yeah. because it 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 kind of ticked a lot of my other problems you know, a lot of my other problems i didn't need to worry about yeah. if i run it kept me on the straight and narrow so that's why i get a little bit scared now because i can't run because yeah. i think well what am i going to do it's and like you need something else don't you i, I need mean, something and and mm. obviously nutrition is your thing we're going to get onto that in a sec yeah. and and the thing about it struck me about when you talk about the running mm. with it, it it's really good at burning off anxiety i think that's the thing yeah. but but so Tool number two that, that's well publicised to you is Steve Peters. Steve yeah. had been on the pod, amazing man, talks yeah. about managing the mind. Yeah. So what, what what did you take from your time with Steve and how did you apply it? Because that, that was, I think everyone saw that was a, had a noticeable impact yeah. on you. Yeah, I think he just put the brakes on, <laughs> you know, when I was out there and all these emotions and all like, you know, like when I walked out against Stephen Hendry halfway through the match, you know, that was felt really real and the right thing to do at the time. But looking back... I would now realise that, you know, that was just, when I feel like that, don't, don't act on it, you know, just, it's just, it's just, it's, it's very fickle. Is, and, it, is it your chimp? Yeah, in another 10 minutes, and I know this from even before Steve Peters, one shot, one frame, one thing can happen and I can be flying. But I never sort of, sort of like, I always used to tell myself that ain't going to happen today. So I'd think it's a waste of time, give up, don't bother. Um, you know, it's, it's not it's not your week. You're not gonna you're not gonna win this tournament yeah. plan the way you are. So Negative self chat. Yeah, and and I subconsciously just give up, walk out. The same thing, walking out, giving up, playing the wrong shots, yeah. um, putting a towel over your head, um, doing all them sort of things. That's like my way of going. I'm out of here. You know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. walking out was obviously the most. Um, Obvious one. Yeah, that was the most shocking for most yeah. people. Like, she's walked out. Like, that's, that's serious stuff. You know, no one does that. <laughs> so I kind of learned um, from, from Steve that not to do that. Yeah. So even if I was feeling really awful out there, I'd go, all right, in the next shot, the next thing, it can all turn around. And it's all like yeah. healthy, healthier dialogue with yourself sort yeah. of thing. So that was something that helped out. Obviously, there's a lot more other stuff in there. Yeah. Um, but I think at the end of the day, my ability, my hard work, it's probably you know, probably only one or two players in the game that would three or four players that would work as hard as me. I kind of thought, well, okay, I've got that. I've got to have faith in myself. Just don't sabotage. Yeah. So whatever happens out there, you might be not playing great. Things aren't really going for you. Just don't sabotage. Just keep giving the best that you can give on any shot, anything, and and just see where it takes you. And and that's all I've done, mm -hmm. really. Um, I've worked really hard on what's important in my life, like my running, you know, my gym, spending time at home, and and all them sort of stuff that Steve puts in. You know, your values and mm -hmm. what's important to you. But I've done a lot of that in recovery as well. So when I kind of got into to rehab, I started to you know, put myself first a bit, you know, start taking care of yourself. Mm. So a lot of the values that Steve talks about and people, it's like, you know, what's important to you and, and taking care of myself um, was important to me. You know, do I eat right? Do I sleep right? You know, um, am I enjoying, you know, am I keeping myself fit? And, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And um, am I finding f things for the, 
time for the things I enjoy, you know, mm-hmm. am I spending enough time with my partner and, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. And you just kind of go, well, that's really important. Now now I can go and play snooker, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and if I win, great. And if I don't, it's not the end of the world. There's 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 there's, there's still life, you know. Yeah, yeah. So that, that self-care has to come first. So, so Steve, mm-hmm. essentially, in a nutshell, taught you about the value of, of your values yeah. and learning not to buy into that, that chimp reactive voice yeah. and, and letting it sort of pass. Yeah. Um, okay. And you talked about... Let's get on to your nutrition then, because, yeah. you know, you say your dad instilled on in you from an early age, yeah. healthy body, healthy mind. Yeah. And you've spoken about you've had throughout your life an emotional relationship with food that was sort yeah. of, and it's hard as well on the road. Goodness, I'm staying, I stayed in the hotel yeah. last night to come and, and interview you. Yeah. Even the breakfast. I mean, it, it killed me this morning. It's only one morning. But, you know, it's, it's, it's hard, <laughs> isn't it? What did you have for breakfast here? Uh, okay. I had, um, well, I started with, uh, I had muesli with some yogurt and okay. some berries. Start, yeah. start, start, start positive. That's quite, right, quite. Yeah. Then I had two bacon, two egg, hash brown and a piece of toast. I don't oh. do it often. I normally yeah, yeah, eat pretty well, but yeah, I yeah. thought... Sod it. Yeah. yeah, that's all right. That's all right. That's, no, no You've got to do that, that occasionally because that's no balance that. as if well, isn't it? If you stay in hotels every week and you were doing that, then that's it's obviously problem. it's a danger. But that's what I mean. It's hard. And you mm. spend a lot of time on the road. Yeah. You know, and if you've got all this stuff going on, so of course, some days you're going yeah. to be restrained. Yeah. But but anyway, so so what, what has been your emotional relationship with food and, and how has it developed then? I was, I was, ever since I was younger, I was always, everyone used to say, oh, he's got puppy fat, you know, he'll grow, it'll come off of him. But like the time I got to 18, 19, I'm thinking, this puppy fat ain't coming off me, mate. I'm not a puppy no more. <laughs> so I, I started to think, well, you've you got to actually do something about it. And it wasn't until I was, I mean, I've got a picture in my phone uh, someone sent to me, and I was so fat. I mean, I'll show you after. You, you'll go, I'm, I'm not sure. You might go, oh, yeah, I remember that. But most people look and go, God, I can't believe you was actually that big. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so my relationship with, with food was, was, was not great. And... Um, I remember I finished the 1996 World Championships and I'd lost my driving licence. I had no girlfriend, I had no nothing. I was fat, I was overweight. But I got to the semis of the world and I kind of thought, I'm actually like quite looking forward. And I, and I took Hendry to like 17, 13 or something like that and I felt, well, that ain't bad, you know. I'm not far away now, you know. So I kind of went, all right, I'm going to give next year a really good go. So I got myself fit. I was training three times a day. So I'd go for a run in the morning, maybe five miles. I'd get a cab to the gym um, in the afternoon, cab to the gym in the evening. And in between them them gym sessions and running, um, my mum would cook me really nice salads and pastas and good food. And I remember after about two months, I just looked in the mirror in my bedroom and I was like, I didn't even recognise it. I didn't even recognise myself. I had abs, I was defined. I just couldn't believe it. And that's when I realised that... um, the, the relationship between training and food and, and all that sort of stuff, that's when the penny sort of dropped mm-hmm. to me. Um, but I, I couldn't sustain it because, I don't know, I just kind of got sucked into my snook again. I neglected myself. Sure. I did, you know, I started eating. I didn't, you know, I just thought, I always had this thing if you're training and you're eating, no matter what you eat, you know, and, and, and I've come to realise that it's not like that, you know, to, to get healthy and fit. And feel the best you can. You, they've both got to kind of like really work together, yeah. really. And everyone does fall off the wagon. And you've, yeah. got, you've got to be not too harsh with yourself in those yeah. moments. Because when you harsh with yourself, that's when it can snowball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The shame comes in and da-da-da. Yeah, I just, I just think it's like balancing the books out. So like a lot of the time, I, I know what I need to eat during the day. And I, I kind of portion size my meals and I have my snacks on the go. So if, ever, if I'm going away somewhere, I go to the nearest Marxist, I get... I get three or four items that I need that can keep me going for the day. 
if in between that I get a chance to order a healthy meal, I'll have a healthy meal, I won't touch my snacks. Um, but if not, I know I've always got my backup sort of thing to get me through the day. Um, but I just kind of like, um, it's, um, I found, I t- do you know what I was saying? When I was training three times a day, I didn't really have enough time to eat big meals because I knew I had a next gym session to come up. So I thought, I don't want to eat too much because I'll... So actually, when the more I trained, the less I kind of felt like I ate in many yeah. ways. So when I was, you know, I go through periods sometimes where I'll exercise twice a day. I do a five, six mile run in the morning and then I go to the gym in the evening. But in between that, them sessions, I have to be careful not to eat too much. So I found the more I trained, the less I kind of ate. And I was like, you know, so sometimes you start thinking to yourself, do we actually need this amount of food? I just think sometimes it's just done out of boredom, out of addiction, mm. out of, you know, I think your stomach maybe just swells up more. The more yeah. you put into it, the more it needs. Yeah. It's like feeding this sort of thing. And being out of touch with, yeah. you know, knowing when you're full. I think that's quite common. Yeah. Out of touch with your feelings. Yeah, and I just think, you know, like, if you put a massive plate of food in front of me, I could eat it. Yeah. But there's no need, you know, I could probably get away with eating a quarter of it. But it wasn't until I started working with Rhiannon yeah. and she started to say, right, we'll measure your food out. And I thought, I can't be one of these people measuring my food out. What am I going to do if I'm in a snooker tournament? I asked the woman if she's got a set of scouts so I can weigh my chicken and my potatoes <laughs> out. She's going to think I'm absolutely <laughs> off my head. Um, but actually, I realised it dawned on me. I'd done a week of it and then I went... One morning I went, I don't need to measure my porridge, I don't need to measure And I was like, okay, I now know what an, a, a portion size should be for someone like me. Yeah. So now I can go out and I can go, okay, that might bring me up a massive steak or a load of this and a load of that. And you look at it. And I just cut it the size I need and I take the That's potatoes that I need and I take the vegetables and I create my own little dinner and I leave that to the side and I go, well, look, that that's... If someone else wants it, great. If not, then I'll pack that up and take it away and I've got another two meals there. Yeah. You know, so I don't buy into this, oh, because it's on my plate, I need to eat it. You know, it's sort of, that was that, that's what I used, you know, it's yeah. just going along with the, with, with, with the flow. Yeah. I don't want to go along with the flow. I've been educated. Someone showed me a different way. You know, I need to now use that 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 knowledge that I've got to the to my advantage, and yeah. just kind of like you know, you know, be be the creator of your own destiny, if you like. You know? Yeah, yeah. Portion controls are absolutely key, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, now, so when you got in touch with Rhiannon, like mm. was it 2017 roughly? Yeah. You, you, and you you spoke about in your book about how you'd gone through this period of like really cutting out carbs. Yeah. Which is really, like so many people advocate that at the moment. Yeah. You know, I, I've seen it with intermittent fasting on YouTube, which I tried for yeah. a while and there's a real sort of talk yeah. around it. And along with that mentality, you were eating pretty healthfully, quote unquote, but you were noticing, I know you were smashing the avocados. Yeah. But you were noticing that actually you were really struggling because mm. you talk about snooker being an endurance yeah. sport, but your your mind was, yeah. was not keeping up. Yeah, it was... Um, I think it was about after two months of just eating avocados, cutting out the carbs, having a bit of protein. And and don't get me wrong, I felt right on it. I thought, I'm cutting out lots of the sugary mm. stuff. It kind of like stopped me from wanting, it kept me fuller. You know, mm. eating avocado and you are full. You know, I was eating two or three a day. That You know, once I'd ate my avocado, there was no like snacking on chocolate, these yeah. crisps, you know, did, just did the, there was no need for it. You know, I didn't crave it sort of thing. So I thought, you know, this, this is working pretty well. And it wasn't, and I was training, I was doing my four mile runs and felt, fine no problem it wasn't about till about two and a half months into it that obviously the effects started to happen and I was just I was just having dizzy periods I couldn't really have a conversation with anyone and this this all happened just after the world championships and um, my girlfriend said to me you need to go to the doctors you need to get some tests done you know it could be low in this low in that Mm. went to the doctors I went to two or three different doctors because they could find nothing wrong with me 
And um, so I was getting like pretty concerned because I thought, I don't like this, you know, mm. like, I just, just didn't like the feeling that I had. And it wasn't until I spoke to Rhiannon, told her exactly what I'd done. And she was like, ah, oh, that makes sense. You're not, you know, carbs feed the brain. And I was like, really? Um, I just assumed whatever you put in your body was just food yeah. and calories. And yeah. it would all kind of at some point just you'd function okay. Because um, I wasn't starving myself. I wasn't overeating. Um, and it wasn't until I started eat, following the, the food plan that she kind of put towards me, then I kind of got myself better. And, and obviously since that day, you know, it's been like nearly 18 months now, I can honestly say I've probably felt the best I've ever felt. Really? You know, yeah, with my relationship with food, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I was like an all or nothing. If I was training, I would eat well. If I wasn't training, I'd let myself go and think, well, because I'm not training, at some point I'm going to get fat because that's what's always happened to me. So I might as well eat what I like. It doesn't matter. And I know a lot of people do that as mm. well because I train down the gym and a lot of people let themselves go if they don't train. But I just thought, you know, um, I thought, I've, you know, we've, I've got this book coming out. I want it to be authentic. I want it to, I want it to be like the, try not training. So I'd, over a 12-week period, I probably only trained for about three weeks, but I kept eating very, very well. I didn't put a pound on. Really? Yeah. So I know that over a twelve-week period. So that was like about a four, uh, about a four, eight, a three-month period. And I always think it takes eight weeks for any change to yeah. to have an impact. So if you start eating well, you won't see it within the first four, five, six weeks. In eight weeks' time, you'll go, okay, I see the definition. I see the weight coming off. It's I've stabilised. The body's caught up. And I think it's the same as if you eat rubbish. You know, you can eat rubbish for the first four or five weeks. You think, I'm getting away with this. On the eighth or ninth week, you'll look in the mirror and you'll go, wow, where did that gut come yeah. from? So I always think you need to give yourself the eight to ten week, twelve week. I went twelve weeks just to be to be safe. So now that message in my head is if you don't train, you might as well eat rubbish. That no longer exists. You know, there's still the urge sometimes, you know, I'm not training, or I'll snack a little bit more and I'll do you know, I might have a little bit of a dessert here. But I've managed to really keep it under control. So as I know that now this book that I've put out, it's not it's more about eating balanced meals and not over putting too much food on your plate yeah. and, and if you do that you don't have to train. I like to train. I like the feeling yeah. of, of being fit just because it's a great feeling. Like I said, when I got yeah. train station at Holborn, I thought, well, I ain't getting a train home. I'm running <laughs> home. That's an amazing feeling. Yeah, yeah. To me, that was like, yeah. that was brilliant. You know, mm. I couldn't do it now, but at the time, you know, and I just think, you know, why wouldn't you want to make yourself feel like that if you can? So training is important, but for most people in this country, they don't have time to do it all. So I do believe the food is the most important part now. And it must be good to know then that now you can let go of the training. Yeah. You know, you don't necessarily, of course you want to do that yeah. and that's mm. the right way to be. Mm. But if you did let go, yeah. you know, with the, the new way you're approaching yeah. food, that's okay. You'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's okay. And I kind of like, I've, you know, I've, because I, th- I liken to it a little bit like a, a, a boxer, you know, they, they might finish a fight and they might go, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slack off for four or five weeks. I ain't got a fight for another five, six months. I've trained hard for three months. So they kind of go, all right, I'm going to have a fish and chips, I'm going to have this, and they might put on a stone or a stone and a half, but at least they know that, okay, once it's ready to train, I cut my portion sizes down, my nutrition, you know, whatever it is. And, and it's like you've got two ways of living. You know, you don't have to be strict all the time. Mm. But if someone's got a wedding coming up or they think, you know, in three months, 
you know, rather than guessing their way through it, here's a plan. If I follow this to 12 weeks, it's like science. I believe in science. And I yeah. think that if you follow this, if I do A, B, C, I'm going to get to D. I don't want to be doing A, B, C and I don't get to D because then I'm going to think, well, what's the point of doing it? You know, I, I want something that's tried and tested that's going to work. And that's a little bit how I kind of look at it. I give myself a little bit of leeway and I kind of, I don't beat myself up. But, you know, whereas before I would be, you know, bad would be sort of, you know, on a scale of one to ten, ten was bad. Now I don't go beyond maybe, you know, three. Right. You know, like, you know, four, yeah. three, you know what I mean? And it's the balance thing. Yeah, balance. and for me it feels natural now. Yeah, At yeah. first I was like, you know, how am I going to keep this up? But actually yeah. once you get into it, a rhythm of it, it becomes part of your lifestyle. So the book's top of your game, right? So mm. what are your, in? I mean, and I've said, it's a, it's a fascinating read. It's not just a cookbook, is it? Yeah. It is a mea culpa in many ways and an opening of your heart yeah. and soul. Mm. But what are your, you've talked about the ABCs, what are your food ABCs in a nutshell then? So someone listening, what, what can they apply simply? You talked about portion control yeah. being one, yeah. getting your carbs back in. So I'm yeah. guessing that's getting all your food yeah. groups. Yeah. In a nutshell, what are the rules that you apply then? The rules, I would always say I'll have three meals a day. Um, and, and two snacks a day. Sometimes I can't get three meals in a day, so I'll just snack my way through the day. But I'm always snacking on the right type of stuff. Um, obviously, portion size is, is is very important because, like you say, I can, you know, where I was eating three avocados a day, really I should have only had, had a half. So it's kind of like learning, you know, you need your proteins, you need your carbs, you need your fats, you need your, your fluids as well. You know, water's a very important thing to do. I used to drink a lot of tea, maybe 10, 15 cups a day. I try and minimise that down there to two or three if I can. I drink a lot more flavoured teas, uh, licorice teas. And at first you think, I can't drink this, these teas, but yeah. you find a really good one. You go, you know what, I really like that. So the more you embrace the different options, sooner or later you come across a sausage you really love. Sooner or later you come across a vegetable you really love sooner or later you come across a, a new fish that you really love at first you might go i can't eat that i can't eat that but at some point you go you know what i actually really like that and then you know so like i've had hummus probably every day for the last 18 months and i like hummus but i only had it when i went to a turkish restaurant and yeah. they'd bring it to the table I'm like i really like this i didn't realize i could make my own i didn't realize i could go to marx's and that would be better than having a snickers bar yeah. i didn't realize sticking a bit of celery into a bit of cottage cheese could be so nice with a few sun-dried tomatoes a few artichokes and a few slices of turkey i didn't have to go to the local um uh, delicatessens for them to, i could do it all myself you know so you know i think for the first week or two weeks you know measuring food is, is important if you're going to embrace something like this just to re-educate yourself yeah. on what is the right amount because you'll be surprised that by doing that after about a month of it, you'll go to a restaurant and they'll serve up a plate of food or you'll see people and you'll go, I can't believe that that's what I used to eat. So then that message starts to get through to you. And you so instead of going, oh, this is too big, and you go, I'll have half of it, um, but I'm going to pack the other half. And I just think also, which is important, how you cook your food. So, you know, I didn't realise how fattening oil was. Oil is a good thing, you know, olive oil, yeah. argan oil, coconut oil. But taking in the right amounts is, is okay. But if you're kind of chips and fish yeah. and deep fried chicken, Kentucky fried chicken, it's soaked in oil. You're not only having the, the chicken, which is enough on its own if it's steamed or, or grilled. You've then got all that oil. So it's unnecessary calories. So it's learning to cook in different ways. So, yeah. you know, making different choices. If you go to a restaurant, you know, steamed, grilled, baked, fantastic. Yeah. You know, portion size, you can't go wrong. And it's just, I just think that if you go along them principles, um, you know, you, you're... you're 
you're you're going to be fine. Yeah, so top of your game, great read, also simple, okay? Mm. Now, okay, so we've been talking, Ronnie, about the lessons you've learned, the lessons that other people can can learn from you, yeah. moderation, which is like your absolute watchword. So, okay, if you if sat in front of you now, yeah. 17, 18-year-old Ronnie yeah. O'Sullivan, right, what would be your message to him? And there, through that, the message to people listening who, who may be like the young Ronnie See, O'Sullivan. Moderation, you've got to be careful because, like, I found the thing with food and I'm like, okay, now if I eat right, I don't have this fear of getting fat again. But as a consequence of that, I've gone, well, I'm not actually going to train as much now. So that moderation is, is it's a danger because you can get sometimes... I've got a bit lazy and I know how good I know how good I feel when I exercise or I train mm. or I do some sort of physical ac- activity. It doesn't have to be it can be just driving a go-kart, it could be you know helping my mum tidy up the house or lifting boxes up or emptying the garage. To me that's kind of mm. a physical activity. Um so moderation is is good in a way if it's applied without being lazy and, mm. and, and trying to find a shortcut. You know, I don't believe in shortcuts. I no. don't believe there's a quick way to success. Yeah. Um, You've got to do it all, yeah. but without going over yeah. or under. Yeah, yeah. I think you get the best out of yourself. I think you always seek... Um, like, if I went to the running club, I had a danger of over overrunning, yeah. overtraining. I, would, I think I have to run hard every day to become better. I got a good coach, and he would only let me run hard twice a week. The rest of it had to be steady running. And I started running my best times. So sometimes the moderation is, is seeking out someone that's been there, done it before, and going, look, you know, you don't have to um, go hard at it every day. You know, two hard sessions a week is enough. So once I started to learn that about running, I started to apply that to my snooker because I thought I noticed that that's a trait of mine to just overdo it and just think that I need to play hard every day. I need to be putting five, six hours in every day. And that wasn't actually the case. So when I started to apply what I'd learned from running to snooker, I started to play three or four days a week. Some days I play for four hours, some days I play for an hour and a half. But I, I equated the four-hour session as a hard session, the hour and a half as a recovery day. I was still playing, I was still in touch with the game, but it was kind of, it was like a recovery day. So it was in two days' time when I had a hard session, I was ready. Mm. You know, I'd, I'd been to the gym, I trained, I'd ate well, I hadn't overdone the snooker. Mm. So I was ready to perform to a higher level. And I, I liken it to the racehorse. You know, you don't race it every day, you yeah. hold it back a bit. Okay, so it is all about moderation. Look, Ronnie O'Sullivan, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. It really has. Thank you so much for coming on Don't Tell Me The Score. Lovely. Thank you. Cheers, Simon. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of Don't Tell Me The Score. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation. And I would, of course, be delighted to hear your thoughts, ideas and questions. Do get in touch via my website, simonmundy.com. I do really appreciate you listening. And if you could leave a kind rating and review, I would be sincerely grateful. All that remains is for me to say, I hope you'll join me again next time. Until then, thank you and goodbye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.